the sound of the English countryside, quite unmistakable and utterly lovely. But hold on, what's that? Today on The Bike Show, I'm delighted to be delving into a subject that I care very deeply about. Cycling in the countryside. What's gone wrong? And more importantly, what can be done about it? To help me get to grips with what is a huge subject, I went to visit Rafe Smith, a transport expert at the Campaign for the Protection of Rural England. I suggested we meet in a sunny meadow somewhere, but Rafe is a busy man so he had to make do with a small, rather airless, windowless room at his offices in central London. I began by asking Rafe how the CPRE had first come to be interested in transport issues. Well, we started off in 1926 as the Council for the Preservation of Rural England. Um, and in those days, when we were first uh, campaigning against ribbon development, but in the 1930s we were involved with the Association for the Beautification of Roads, I think that's the right name, which looked to make new road building more visually attractive, you know, planting trees and flowers along, along roads. In the 1960s, when there was a lot of road building going on, we started to challenge some of the routing, such as the M1, not going through a forest. But by the 1970s, we were actually challenging the principle of road building and saying there should be other alternatives. Now, since then, we've been campaigning to try and protect the character of rural areas, such as through the Quiet Lane Initiative, or also trying to challenge the increase in size and volume of lorries on country roads. I mean, looking back to those early days, it's about the same time that people started going out into the countryside in large numbers to enjoy the countryside, walking and cycling, and those activities became more popular because I guess people had a little bit more time off, maybe a little bit more disposable income. That interwar period was quite critical in terms of the way the countryside changed in its own character, but I suppose also in the way that people related to it. There was a sort of paradigm shift. Oh, that's definitely true. I think a lot of people were influenced by motoring atlases and also cycling maps and books that encouraged them to rediscover the countryside. And there was an idea that there was something wonderful about the countryside that was potentially being lost. That's right. I think there was, there's a real shift in the 1930s with all the advertising boards going up for petrol, for other things like that. And that's something that CPRE was very concerned about and has been since in trying to restrict our advertising signs and traffic signs has been a part of our work ever since. So let's talk about cycling. This is the bike show. Many of the concerns of the campaign for the protection of rural England relate clearly to, to people who enjoy the countryside as sort of amenity going out cycle touring you know you want it to be looking at its best you don't want horrible developments um, ugly things in the way and you want to be able to encounter the character and the distinctiveness of, of rural England and that's sort of one side of it but the other side of it is actually people who live out in the countryside themselves cycling as a way of getting around it seems to me that a lot of the thinking about cycling in Britain at the moment is about cycling in the urban context and if you think about the Times' Cities Fit for Cycling campaign that's done so much to put the issue on the agenda of cycle safety, it's, it says it in the tagline, doesn't it? Cities Fit for Cycling. It's not talking about villages 
fit for cycling. I mean, what's, what's your take? Do you think that the thinking is, well, actually, the countryside's fine for cycling, or do you think it's a lost cause? People think it's a lost cause and that, you know, well, you're in the countryside, you're going to drive a 4 by 4 We've set ourselves a vision for the countryside for our centenary year in 2026. And a key part of that is more people walking and cycling in the countryside. Not just because that means fewer people driving with a negative environmental impacts, but also because people who are out there on the lanes and the footpaths walking and, and cycling as well um, will actually appreciate its tranquility, its distinctiveness, much more than people simply uh, cocooned inside a car. I mean, we certainly agree, and we've been pushing the government and also the cycling bodies to remember the countryside, because with half of all cycling fatalities happening on rural roads, however much progress there is making our cities safer, there's still going to be a lot of people who tragically lose their lives in, in rural areas. And actually, the risk of cycling on a, on a rural A road is about 15 times higher in terms of being killed than on an urban road. So you know, there's a huge discrepancy and a real need for, for action. How do cycling levels in rural areas compare to urban areas? They're, they're generally much lower. I mean, there are pockets, uh, you know, kind of in kind of eastern Yorkshire and also uh, East Anglia, where there's, there's actually quite high levels of cycling in rural areas. Uh, I think some of the, the background figures show about 2% of people are in rural and urban areas in the sense of cycling to work. But that's, that's obviously very low compared to other countries. I mean, Germany, which isn't you know, a massive cycling nation, has about, uh, it's gone up to about 10%, maybe 8 to 10% now of uh, rural trips are cycled, and they're aiming for even higher. That just shows that if we made the effort, uh, we could certainly do the same. So let's talk a bit about the problems that people are cycling in rural areas to get around so we're not talking about going out and enjoying a tour in the countryside although obviously there is a certain amount of overlap but let's talk about the people who live out there you know going to work going to the shop commuting through the mists to holy communion mm. as uh, in a uh, George Orwell vision of uh, rural England uh, by bicycle why are people not cycling to get around in rural areas well, I think that the first problem is safety and we had a, uh, a fantastic pilot of electric bikes in a hilly Hampshire village. And we had ladies in their mid-70s riding these newfangled e-bikes going up hills. And some of them, they hadn't ridden a bike for 30 years. And after kind of a, a two-month pilot, we asked them, would you continue to cycle? And the overriding concern was the safety. There weren't enough places they felt safe cycling. Now, there may, be, there may be a nice byway or a quiet country road. The problem is you might then have to cross a busy road and there are no, the, all the cycle networks are fragmented. I mean, I say cycle networks, I mean the kind of places available to cycle safely rather than formally designated routes. And I think until we can change that, it's going to remain uh, difficult. Is that a result of the roads having been changed by design or is that just the sheer volume of traffic? I think it's mainly the sheer volume of traffic. I mean, we've seen a huge increase in traffic in the last 30 years, and the government's now predicting a 43% increase in traffic by 2040. So if you think, you know, if you started cycling 15, 20, 30 years ago, think how much less traffic there was in those days, and then kind of think the same again in 20, 30 years' time. You'll appreciate it's not even 
the B roads will be busy, but also the country lanes as well, full of uh, rat running vehicles, unless we try and do something about it. And do you get the sense that vehicles are going faster now than they were in the past? Definitely. I mean, vehicles are with, with better braking, kind of more cocooning of the drivers. Drivers do go faster, and a particular problem we face now is with the speed limits being lowered on the major roads, drivers see the minor roads as the kind of space where they can still get up to 60 or even even more because there aren't the speed limit signs and there aren't the cameras. So we're seeing a real, a, a real shift of some drivers just treating the country lanes like the motorways almost. And what about the width of vehicles? Because that's something that I've thought about, that vehicles are getting wider. If you think about 20, 30 years ago, or maybe even more. Vehicles weren't that wide. That was when the roads were being made for them. And now it seems like, especially the SUVs, are really quite wide. And so when you've got two vehicles trying to pass each other, there's not much room for a cyclist. It's a real problem, not just the cars getting bigger, but also there are bigger lorries every kind of few years. The weight limit seems to be increased. Now the government wants to open up our roads to longer, heavier vehicles, these super juggernauts from Scandinavian countries and also agricultural machinery is getting bigger and bigger there's even a consultation on now where the government wants to increase the weight limits of agricultural vehicles on the basis that will make farming more economic now all these bigger vehicles I keep on eating into the verges and the verges can be a haven for wildlife for flowers and the more they're damaged the more the character of a country lanes in our range and sometimes county councils put in curb stones along rural lanes but that really destroys the character it makes them suburban rather than rural and so let's talk about some of the solutions that there might be for redesigning the roads or introducing measures that will improve things and slow the traffic down and make things better for cycling what do you think are the most effective interventions on in terms of design well, I think I think there has to be a, a look at policy as well. I mean, from the national side of things, uh, the government's consulting at the moment on a massive road building plan. We'd much rather they reopen rural railways. So, for example, you can get to places by train and also get more freight on the rail. So there isn't the pressure for more roads uh, and more traffic. And then there's also the issue about where people live. The government wants to convert lots of agricultural buildings into homes and offices and of course these buildings won't be well served by buses or trains so the option for most people will be to drive there and that will increase the traffic on on the kind of the more minor rural roads i mean personally i think scruffy agricultural buildings are very much part of the character of some areas and where they're all done up that can make an area feel less rural but there's also a a big problem with uh, speeds we've actually got a big success at the start of last year the government has uh, supported our campaign to make it easier to designate minor rural roads as 40-mile-an-hour zones. Now, this has been something that the Dutch have done. Well, of course, it's 60 kilometres an hour there rather than 40 miles. But they found that by lowering the speed limit on the minor rural roads, they've saved more lives per euro spent than reducing the speed limit in the urban areas. One thing that you can do nowadays, uh, thanks to the internet, is go on Google Street View and look at different road designs and things like that. Obviously, it's no substitute for actually going to a place, but it's a lot easier. And I've done a little bit of looking around in the Netherlands to see what they do in their rural areas. And a lot of the roads where they don't have an actual separate 
cycle track alongside and there are a lot of roads where they do have a separate cycle track alongside maybe we can talk about that in a bit but on these um, more minor rural roads they've got a central lane for motor vehicles and they've got two reservations on either side with a sort of dashed line and red asphalt for the reserved area for cyclists and if two cars are coming towards each other on the roads one of them will or both of them will have to go into that reservation area but by putting them in a central zone where they can't pass each other they it almost automatically reduces the default speed that people go along at whereas we've done almost the opposite in Britain where the B roads which if you look at a cyclist touring club guide to the routes of the UK I think there's a very famous one by Nick Crane that you can pick up easily for a pound or two a second-hand shop from the from the late seventies, and it's all about B roads, and it's you know the B you know these are the, the arterial routes for the touring cyclist. Well, now if you go on a B road, I actually find that they're even more hazardous often than A roads, and the reason is they, if you ask me, maybe you can tell me as the expert that they've put a central reservation line down the middle, which demarcates two lanes, and car drivers think, well, that's my area because there's a line in the middle I can go as fast as I like I'm safe because the other cars coming in in the opposite direction will be on their side of the line but it leaves no space for someone on a bike to be overtaken safely so you get squeezed into the hedge or or, or hit and if you take the primary position then you know you're you're going to get the ire of the of, of the car driver is going to beep at you I mean it, could those central reservation markings be removed what impact would that have absolutely and that's what we've been calling for we've been calling if you remove those lines and then make the road 40 miles an hour you can you can then as you say do what they've done in the netherlands and uh, mark out um kind of edge zones or cycle strips that are then seen as the place where people walking or cycling have priority over vehicles uh and that's actually as you say that's that's gone hand in hand in the Netherlands with the lowering the speed limit. The problem is here, though, if you've got a 60 mile an hour speed limit, which is the national speed limit, the unrestricted limit, then it's not safe. You've, there's been examples of head-on collisions where drivers have been driving too fast around the corners in that central marked area, and then there's been fatalities, and that's why there's been, there hasn't been such a move to this Dutch design on our, on our minor rural roads. Do you think that's something that might be on the agenda to deal with these minor rural roads to bring the speed limit down? I think the problem is it's on the government's agenda because we've got wonderful localism now and the local authorities themselves are struggling with huge budget cuts and uh, kind of really deteriorating road surfaces. So there just isn't the, the money or the will to try out new things at the moment. I mean, it's been pretty bad since around 2004 when the Countryside Agency was shut down. There's been a real lack of innovation in rural areas for, for transport and in other issues because of the kind of the, the, the gradual cull of the quangos. If you were to seek to reduce the speed limit on a minor rural road, is it as simple as just putting up a sign that says 40 miles an hour or are there, are there design interventions that you need to make as well? Because some people would say that it's no good just putting up a sign. You've got to actually design those lower speeds into the roads themselves. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, for starters, until last year, you couldn't put just up one four, You couldn't put up with just one forty mile an hour sign. You had to put up repeater signs every few hundred meters 
each of which cost about £600 to install. So if you want to lower the speed limit on a ride area, that would soon cost tens, hundreds of thousands of pounds. And what we've done is to allow zonal speed limits to be introduced without these repeater signs. But certainly, I think things to use psychological ideas to lower speeds the most successful. If you try and put in the sort of the usual armory of the traffic engineer, the dragon's teeth, the kind of the bright... What's the dragon's teeth? Can you talk us through that one? Dragon's teeth are these funny kind of triangles that, that get bigger as you approach a village gateway, and they look absolutely horrific. But for a traffic engineer, it's the logical thing to kind of try and reduce the speed of the driver. I think... Are they like rumble strips? or they're, they're without a rumble, but they're just uh, triangles that kind of get bigger on, on the side of the road as you approach. So it's a sort of way of catching the attention of the, of the driver? It's supposed to, but it just, it just looks ugly. Uh, and what we would like to see is, kind of, is more psychological means. I mean, there was a, a rural safety demonstration project where some clever chap tried to cut down the hedges and the trees alongside the road. What happened? Well, people started driving faster because they had better sight lines. So actually things like planting hedges, trees, gateways can reduce the speed of drivers. And even, you know, maybe painting a green strip along the side of the road so that it's harder to see where the hedge stops or the the, the kind of the verge stops and the road starts. I mean, this goes against what has been going on for years by traffic engineers, which is to get rid of anything that could be conceived of as an obstruction. So it's counterintuitive from their point of view. It is, but I think what the evidence shows now is we need to define the minor roads differently from the major roads. Sure, on the major roads, you know, have all the sort of safety barriers, clear signing. On the minor roads that you might have to share with a cyclist, a horse rider, you know, some sheep being herded, then you've got to encourage drivers to expect the unexpected and go for a completely different design philosophy. So let's talk about lanes. I've written a book called Lost Lanes, and so, you know, it's a specialist subject of mine and, and I, I find that while lanes often are, are not the most direct or the, or the flattest routes they're often the most pleasurable to cycle along because um, of the, the nature, beautiful views, the varied views, the woodland that you get alongside the lanes um, and fields and the views into, into villages and the, the quietness ultimately, the quietness of, of lanes. Do you think lanes are, are under threat? Don't tell me that they are, please. Oh, definitely they're under threat. Oh no! Just from the, the gradual year-on-year increases in traffic that's kind of salami slicing the tranquility of the countryside. Is this because of sat-navs that people go down country lanes where they otherwise would have thought, oh God, if I go down there, I'm going to get lost. But now they feel they've got the confidence, oh, I might just go down there and the sat-nav will take me, take me to, the, to my destination safely. I think sat-nav is definitely a problem. I mean, in the past, local authorities tried to use direction signs, so kind of almost following the example of the Battle of Britain when all the, uh, the finger post signs were cut down to stop the invading Germans, they tried to use the same idea and remove the, the signs pointing through the country lanes to manage the traffic. Now with the sat-navs, that simply won't work. And we'd certainly like to see more lorry bands in rural areas. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that in London. But in, in, in rural areas as well, there shouldn't be lorries going on these minor roads. They should keep to the main roads. There is a Cotswold area lorry ban that's been quite successful. The problem is there's no one to enforce it with all the police being cut. One thing we'd like to see is the same 
powers that London has to enforce its lorry ban being given to the rural areas so they can use cameras, for example, to uh, encourage uh, and ultimately force lorries not to use unsuitable roads. You mentioned the government's road building programme that you're opposed to. Does some of that involve kind of converting quiet country lanes into major roads? Or not major roads, but it's like upgrading, I guess in their terms, in our terms, it'd be downgrading a beautiful historic rural lane into a kind of a, a fast B road. Yeah, there's lots of examples of that happening, maybe not so much recently, but I think with the increased pressure on the major roads, then the roads that link into them, kind of the capillaries are that, that link into the major roads, there's increased pressure for them to be widened, straightened, signed and lined, all these things that gradually erode the very kind of qualities of the countryside that make cycling on lanes so pleasurable. And how about parking? Um, because that's that's an issue in in urban areas. But I, it strikes me that it's also an issue in rural areas. And I, I think of one particular place that, that I visited in the research for, for my book, which is the village of Cookham, home to Stanley Spencer. And you can go and visit the gallery that's got some of his paintings. I mean, it's a beautiful village, absolutely beautiful village, right by the, the River Thames. But it's absolutely choked, not just with moving cars, but with parked cars. And if you ask me, a parked car is, a, is really a way of defacing a beautiful village scene. And it's almost as if we just allow it to happen and people get uptight about all kinds of things in the countryside, but they never seem to get uptight about parked cars. No, it's a very fair point. And I think it's not just parked cars that can despoil villages, but also yellow lines when you have every kind of every water fountain and, and curb uh, with a yellow line running alongside it. But actually what we've managed to do in the last year is to get the government to change the rules. So now you can introduce parking restrictions with small signs rather than having to have yellow lines running anywhere. So I think that now allows villages to manage park traffic without the uh, visual intrusion of yellow lines. I mean, are there any villages where you think that they've made a big improvement on on, on the parking situation? I mean, because obviously it's a a problem if every villager has got, every household's got two cars or maybe three cars. They've got to go somewhere. They're not going to build underground car parks in in the countryside, are they? I can't think of one off the top of my head, but next time I go cycling, I will remember and email you when something (laughs) comes into my mind. But would do you accept the point that there may not be a solution if these are residents' cars? That there's just too many of them. And we've uh, created something called the Transport Toolkit, which is a kind of an online resource for parish councils, community action groups, and so on. That does try to kind of show solutions, whether it's for parking, electric bikes, or trying to reduce traffic sign clutter. And I think there's no single solution. But where a community comes together, maybe draws up a village travel plan to improve options, then you know you can actually turn the tide, not necessarily solve the problem, but reduce it. Now, I think I've got to ask you about um, the recent controversy that's uh, been hitting the news, at least uh, amongst the the cycling press and, and and some local press, is the problem of there being too much cycling in the countryside, um, and in particular, it seems in the um, in the Surrey Hills and in the New Forest, where people have, I don't know, risen up, or a handful of people have risen up and and written letters to their uh, MP and to the local paper saying that there are too many cyclists. I can 
look at the arguments that are being made and say, okay, if we're talking about lots of road closures all the time, I could accept that that might be a problem if, if you've just got event after event after event in the Surrey Hills and people are having the roads that they use to get around closed on a regular basis, that that might be an issue. But if it's just open roads, people riding, I almost think, well, you know, everyone's got an equal right to the road. You're just used to having it to yourself so you can barrel along at 60 miles an hour on, on rural roads. Now there's a bunch of cyclists that you might see out on a club run or a, a, a small sportive too bad who gave you the right to dominate the road i mean i just my instinct is just to tell them to naff off no it's a really important point i think what we've seen in the last 20 years is that cars taking over the minor rural roads and now you know the tables are being turned a bit actually one thing we've been calling for is a, a government road safety campaign you know, they run the think campaigns against drink driving and speeding in urban areas their own research has shown them that the most important actions they could take to make rural roads safer is to run a new think campaign. Uh, and that won't just be telling people to be safer, it will be telling them to be more considerate, to expect the unexpected around every corner. I think that's what we really need and uh, we've been calling for it for a few years and hopefully it won't be too long before we actually get it. So your organisation, the CPRE, cares about all this stuff. Do you get the impression that people who live out in rural areas care about this stuff? Because you definitely get the impression that they care about there not being any wind farms and there not being any incinerators and there's a opposition to these sort of mega farms, you know, dairy farms with 10,000 head of cattle and big pig farms. And People in the countryside do seem to get together and rise up against things that they don't like. Do you think transport is something that people are getting engaged in i think they are the problem is when it comes to driving there's always the feeling that there but for the grace of god i go if we are calling to lower speed limits you know some people definitely agree with that but others are vociferously against because they see it as a threat to them their way of life their way of getting from a to b every day uh, and that's the problem we face i mean perhaps it's because we have quite an oppositional approach uh, in this country we're seeing the, the two tribes, the cyclists and the motorists. But of course, as many pointed out, most cyclists have driving licences. Actually, most drivers probably have a bike locked away in the garage, which is not very good at kind of balancing different things together rather than just having one side shouting at the other. So what's the solution to that? I mean, what, how, if you were in a, in a small village and you feel hemmed in by busy roads on either side, you feel like you can't walk to the next village safely um, you feel like if you've got kids that they can't go out and play in the lanes like you might have done if you were growing up there or other people did a few generations ago what steps can you take obviously you can join the CPRE if you're not already a member but what, what practical things could you do to, um, to get the ball rolling well we produced something I mentioned earlier called the transport toolkit that was designed just for this very need I mean, we've got national government and also county councils kind of trying to do initiatives but we think some of these things can happen best from the grassroots and in rural areas the parish council is is kind of the building block um, and can be the way forward so you can have schemes like community speed watch where communities go out with a, a speed gun that's supplied by the police and note down number plates of speeding drivers now because many of these drivers are local people 
if they've got their community doing the enforcement rather than police from you know the, the nearest county town doing that it's more likely to change their behavior you know, similarly if you've got the the parish clerk finds out that there's a, there's a footpath that's kind of in, in, in a bad condition but actually it could be upgraded to, to, to kind of fill the missing link between the village and a nearby station that sort of thing is best happening from the parish rather than the county telling the village to do that and then the local landowner feeling are imposed upon. So you could start by getting yourself onto the parish council. How do do those work? Are they elected? Do people stand for election? They are elected. Uh, Sometimes there are enough people putting their names forward for there actually to be an election. Uh, But also you can maybe get involved in it if there's a local plan, a neighbourhood plan, you can maybe try and put in some transport provisions there so there can be a you know a safe route um that if there is kind of a new development and a new housing built in the village that can contribute say to the cost of a, of a path along the busy road i mean ultimately it comes down to remembering that this is the public highway this isn't a privatized space for people driving cars this is a public asset that should be open to everyone to enjoy in in their own way and if it's if it's where you live then you know maybe you have more rights than people who are just passing through i think i agree with that completely the problem is with some of the lanes the people live at either end in the villages but not actually along the lane itself and that's why it's good to have some sort of uh village travel plan so that you can then kind of uh, take ownership so to speak of of the lanes and perhaps the problems on them and what about in the era of government austerity and, and lack of public finances, it seems like a, quite a few lanes where I live are actually sort of disintegrating into green lanes and into tracks. I mean, it's a sort of abandonment of the lanes. What do you think about, what do you think about that? Because that, on the one hand, you know, it's, not, it does, it's murder on my uh, 25 mil tyres, but um, sometimes I think, well, actually, you know, if these, if these lanes get really potholed and really rough, and you're going to see a lot fewer people wanting to drive down them, and it's actually going to be a lot nicer for you know the nature, for people walking, for people cycling. Is that is that something that's on your agenda, or does that just seem too apocalyptic to let the roads revert to their natural state? Well, it's not just on our agenda. Actually, some county councils like Northamptonshire are looking uh, at this idea to cut their costs. I mean, turning some of the most lightly used rural roads into into byways is, I think, potentially a good idea. I think where you have a, a lane with a sort of the grass stripped down the middle, that completely changes the kind of the perception of, of what that space is, who is to use it. I mean, personally, I love riding on bumpy roads, on bridleways and byways. Some of my friends get annoyed, though, if I'm kind of riding with them, perhaps because their tyres are a bit thinner than mine. But I think it's, you know, it's, it's such a difference being out there on, on, a, on a, a less trafficked, less tarmacked highway than being in an urban area. I was in conversation with Rafe Smith of the Campaign for the Protection of Rural England. That's it for The Bike Show this week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.